You are listening to the Next Best Picture podcast, and these are my interviews with the director for John Wick Chapter 4, Chad Stahelski, the cinematographer, Dan Lauston, and the supervising sound editor, Mark Steckinger. This hit goes out to you, Mr. Wick. Woke up this morning. 42 regular, wasn't it? Yeah. And so it begins. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Alright everyone, I'm being joined right now by the director of John Wick Chapter 4, Chad Stahelski. Chad, uh, man, highest grossing in the franchise, series best reviews, an awards campaign. How you feeling? Um, <laughs> I guess thankful, I guess would be the right word. It's always interesting when people want to see, I guess, more of the stuff you do. I mean, it's very flattering. Um, Karen and I are very thankful for the for people supporting the franchise, supporting the individual films, I guess. But yeah, no, it's 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 pretty interesting, Matt. I'm not gonna lie to you. It's always surprising. <laughs> I don't blame you for that. It seems like each film has progressively upped the ante with each film in terms of stunts, story, cinematography, Keanu's performance, the dedication. You guys have really set the bar at this point. I mean, I, I said when I saw the film earlier this year, good luck to every other action film that not only comes out in 2023, but beyond, because you guys have achieved something. I think that's been extraordinarily special, not seen since the days of John Woo in his prime, in my opinion. So it's really, really incredible, I think, what you guys have pulled off here. Thank you. Um, like, look, we're, we're big fans of all kinds of genres, but, you know, within the action genre and all the subgenres, you know, Karen and I both grew up with, you know, a lot with Asian cinema and early Westerns, whether it was, you know, Stagecoach or the Man Shot Liberty Bands, um, Balance Valor. Um, look, there's obviously you can see the influences in our films, but John Wicks were never supposed to be movies. <laughs> I know that sounds funny. They were just supposed to be love letters back to the stuff we like. We figured we we're only doing one. And then when they asked us to do a second one, we were like, oh, well, if we're going to do that, we're going to mess with more stuff and almost be a real ridiculous. And they came back for three and we're like, oh, wow, we, we, we better do something cool in this one. You know, we've always messed with storytelling. We've messed with the structure. We've messed with, you know, mythology. Mm hmm. You know, it's interesting when you have the, because uh, I get the question a lot, like, why did you keep doing those when you had all these other things to do? And why did Keanu keep coming back? I guess it's probably the most terrifying and the most inspiring reason, the two sides of the same coin thing. It's a blank slate. Like, we're not from an existing IP. There's nobody telling us what is or isn't John Wick. There's no one telling us it's too much or too little or what the character would or wouldn't do. You know, so we have, you know, it, it is a little, Terrifying when you have just have that blank sheet of paper going, come up with John Wick 4. And you're like, oh, yeah. But on the other side, you know, it's whatever ideas and whatever thoughts we have. So that that's kind of, um, uh, I guess, a, a, a very strong advantage to when we're putting the Wicks together that we can kind of, you know, it's wherever our imagination goes. And our imagination usually goes to, well, because we love everyone's action movies. And that's my point. We love all kinds of stuff. You know, I loved Kill Bill when it came out. Yeah. You know, and that's Tarantino's love letter to a lot of the 70s, not just martial art films, but, you know, filmmaking in general. I mean, a lot of his work is. And that was really inspiring to me. So this is like, I guess, you know, in no way comparing ourselves to, to Tarantino's greatness, but it's our way of doing the kind of the same thing, a love letter back to what we love. Mm -hmm. And, you know, in the last eight years, it's been interesting to see other 
filmmakers kind of, you know, like there's plenty of scripts that John Wick style action and he goes John Wick on the guy. And, yeah. <laughs> you know, that kind of thing. And I think that's probably one of the biggest compliments that we ever get is people trying to do their version of what we do or come up with their stuff. And I guess when you're saying raise the bar, we never really thought of it that way. We just kind of did what interested us, what we thought we'd want to see. So it's going to be kind of cool. Um, I think what's going to happen in the next five years with action, like, okay, we did our little piece. What does everybody else got? Like, bring it. Let's, let's see where we go, you know? There was even talk earlier this year, and I know you were pretty vocal about this too, about how movies such as this, Mission Impossible and, and others, um, are really demanding that the uh, awards world, especially the Academy, recognize stunt performers and stunt coordinators. I know it's a very tricky thing given how many people are involved yeah. in the process. Yeah, some logistics. Absolutely. But at the same time, I, I've never seen a more compelling case than I did with your film for why that needs to be recognized. Um, so that's a, that's an accomplishment in and of itself. And I'm sure that as a former stuntman, stunt coordinator, like you must feel a tremendous amount of pride in like leading that discussion. <laughs> look, if something came out of it, you know, I would just go on record as saying like, look, I, I think the Academy is in all my conversations with the Academy this year. And there's been a lot of them. Mm -hmm. nothing but supportive and super cool and they understand the same issues so there's really no resistance to getting an oscar for sons it's a it's logistical it's like you said yeah. who gets it how do you decide it who are the judges like you know it's a whole new thing it's a big part of cinema and it's a big part of the world that's hidden beneath so you need the you, know, you just need to think things through you need smart people making some smart decisions and if that did come to fruition, which I believe, I truly believe it will in the next, probably the next year, but within the next two years or so, mm -hmm. I would just be, you know, the, the, the tip of the spear, you know, that finished the thing. But like, I mean, I, there's no way you could have done it without the last hundred and what, four years of stunt work. Yeah. 105 years. So like, it, you know, I'm just the, just another piece of the, the whole process. Um, but yeah, you know, I think every stunt person should be proud of it. Anybody that's ever, I mean, I'm definitely not the most vocal over the years. Mm -hmm. There are the stunt groups, the stunt um, uh, companies out there from all over the world have been very vocal about it. I just happen to be in a position because of being a director now and having a, a you know, a, a known franchise that maybe a, a few more people were willing to listen and maybe a few more people will answer, you know, answer the phone calls. And, you know, and I, I just think it's a natural evolution. I mean, we're kind of in that point now where, you know, with so much information out there, people see the behind the scenes, they see it. So the audience and the filmmaking, I mean, like you'd be surprised how many people don't really know what stunts really involve. So, you know, it's, it's industry as well. So yeah, yeah. no, I'm proud to be part of it for sure. Well, let's talk about a few stunts in this movie really quick. I want to know from your point of view, what was the most dangerous stunt in the movie? And what was the most deceptively difficult, like something that the audience wouldn't maybe think was that tough or that insane. But for you guys, it was like a logistical nightmare. You know, it's hard to say one individual, so like, an, like a high fall. Like when you see John Wick double come out of the window, like he's really doing that, yeah. fall, you know, four stories down, bouncing off. Like, you know, those are always tricky. But like, I come from the, the upbringing in the stunt community where like, it's not an average stunt guy doing it. I mean... Vincent, the gentleman's name who did that fall, is one of the best at what he does. So for him, not for me, but for him, that was a precise stunt 
that he's very, very, very good at, thus lowering the danger. If I were to go out, or if anybody else were to go out and do what he did, yes, the danger, it's crazy, <laughs> right? But I think a better way to answer your question would be, okay, sequences. Where mm-hmm. do they, like, you know, if you want to look at the Arc de Triomphe, the, just the, the logistics is very difficult. How to pull yeah. it off. Like, those are real people being hit by real cars. We just layer it and try to make it as safe as we can. Mm-hmm. There's hidden mats that we erase on the, on the cobblestone so we're not breaking anybody's collarbones or cracking their heads open. The technology we have today takes the danger level way, way down. If we've done our job and the stunt people are good and I've hired the right people, mm-hmm. yes, for the average person, probably even the average stunt person or stunt performer, some of these things would be very, very risky. But mm-hmm. because you're getting the best, because of the rehearsal time and the amount of money and resource we put at rehearsals, we try to bring the danger level way down. But as far as overall, like, oh, shit can go wrong. <laughs> you know, if you put, you know, 30 stunt guys with 50 stunt drivers and a dog and a camera crew in the middle of five lanes of traffic. That's a pretty good, you got to kind of have your shit together about what could go wrong. I mean, cars moving at, you know, anywhere from 15 to 45 miles an hour crashing into each other and weaving through traffic. That's, that's always the sketchiest for me. I see Keanu in the car doing 50, 60 miles an hour spinning around amongst traffic. And that that's get my heart. Like that's my lead guy. (laughs) Like, and we've trusted him to do that. Like that's always, that's the most nerve wracking for me when I have that many moving parts going on at high speed. But I think it's very interesting, though, that you mentioned um, how stunt work has, because of technology, like become a bit safer because you uh, definitely were working also during a time like in the 90s where that some of that technology didn't exist. So if if audiences are asking to see more and uh, the danger level has to increase, it's it's actually been kind of helpful in a way that in a way technology has kind of helped that to level oh, out yeah they, so they really get into cool. it sometimes they think like you know some of uh, you know i sometimes get asked they're like you you know you're the practical guy i'm like no i'm i think there's a level of performance that is brought out by trying to bring as much when i say realism i mean like practicality and like real people with real objects at real speeds i think there's definitely merit to it but if there's a way i can get that same vibe tone and keep it as safe as I can using digital, literally anything. Mm-hmm. I'm all good. Some of my best friends are visual effects supervisors and artists. Yeah. So I'm, I'm all with it. I just, I don't like using anything as an excuse. So I don't like using anything to hide things that I don't want to hide. Meaning fast editing to hide bad choreography or right. CG to, because I was lazy and I didn't want to go to location. And I want to do it like, as long as you're, like, you're using like the first Matrix, I thought was an amazing use of visual effects. It was meant to make you go, oh, to bend the spoon and do all like that was like, oh, man, yeah. how did they do that? Like, I just don't like sometimes when you're like, OK, we're into CG. The third act is all digital. And you're like, OK, they didn't even try. <laughs> like now, now we're just supposed to watch the anime part of the movie. Mm-hmm. So I'm all good with the effects, especially. I mean, people forget. And I don't know how many other stunt people or former stunt people say this. Visual effects change stunts. Like it, it opened doors to us and it opened doors for directors that like weren't like you could only drive the car so fast. You could always just like, you know, there was some dangerous stuff out there that we had, you know, if the director or we decided to do it a little crazy, but like we can remove safety instruments. We can move safety. I mean, I, I started when you couldn't remove wires. Yeah. You had to spray paint on black and hope the light didn't catch it. Mm-hmm. You know, now, I mean, we'll remove 15 wires going in front of the guy. Well, head, we'll face replace. Like it doesn't, you know, like that's a, right. you know, you know how many pads I can remove? You know how many like times I can 
safety somebody and put whole crews there so I don't worry about anybody getting hit by debris. Like it's it's crazy. Visual effects has literally made the entire industry hundreds of times safer. Yeah, because of what we can do now. Now you know the but. When you talk safety, it's always, you know, no matter what we have digitally or practically or or any other artifice of safety, it still comes down to people, you know, mm-hmm. like, you know, you can have all the cool toys in the world, but if you're not smart enough to use them. So it still comes down to us, but at least we have more options to be safe and still Absolutely. get the entertaining shots. Definitely. Um, I'm curious to know, because I remember when this film was first announced and I remember there being announced that there would be a John Wick Chapter 4 John Wick Chapter 5, that just became Chapter 4, and near three-hour runtime, it's very clear that there was so much story to tell. We, you know, condensed it into one single film at this point. There's been so much to talk and debate about, you know, the ending of John Wick Chapter 4, and will there be another one? Will there not be another one? You've been very vocal of saying, hey, you know what? Don't know. Let's see, like, what lies beyond in the future. But when you see the reception to this film, like I was saying earlier, box office, critical acclaim, everything else, I know you can't like necessarily say, but I guess the main thing I'm thinking of just from a practical standpoint, especially given everything that we're talking about here is how's Keanu feeling? Is he up to it? You know, he's he's not getting any younger necessarily. How does he feel about all this? I don't think he's ever looked at it like that. Like, you know, we joke about it. Somebody's like, I'm getting older. What are we going <laughs> to But he's, Keanu's been kind of the, the matriarch of the whole, you know, he's like our, 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 you know, our mother, our father. He, he's, to him, it's always about the why. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, why, why do another one? Like, it can't, like, obviously, okay, people like it. You can make some money. It's a safe, warm blanket you can crawl into. Mm-hmm. Like why why bring back the character why do something like if we have a why if we woke up tomorrow and one of us had a why i'd go into production you know as soon as schedule allowed <laughs> it's just right now we don't have the why we have ideas you know sure. i could come up with action set pieces and piano has character thoughts but i don't know look i would love to see more kill bill you know I yeah would love to oh see yeah that. they brought that story to fruition you know and i you know, I, I just watched James Cameron Aliens over the weekend. Just, you know, guilty pleasure. And I wrapped that up pretty good. Like, did, did you, you wanted to see more, but that's a pretty good base end. I like, look, John Wicks have always been very organic and natural to us. <laughs> a lot of stress, a lot of stuff, but like, we've never forced one and we've never yeah. done it for any other reason than we wanted to. Mm-hmm. People think like there was no real incentive to do any of the John Wicks for Keanu other than we really wanted to. We had other offers. Everybody wanted to to work with us, and we were very fortunate for that. But at the end of the day, of all the options I had in front of me and all the options he had in front of him, we'd rather choose that one because it let us do them. It, it had the most freedom and opportunity to really find out who we are as filmmakers. You know, it gave us plenty of opportunities to fail. I guess. Yeah. And it gave us an opportunity to see how full of shit we really are. Like, are we as smart? Are we as clever? Are we as creative as we thought we were you know you always well you know i could have should have would have well we got the the one thing that i think every director every filmmaker looks for is like yep blank slate whatever you guys want <laughs> so if it sucks it's 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 me yeah <laughs> it doesn't suck well cats okay, like you know what i mean so we can't really complain about that um but like i think keanu in general like we we're shooting some of the the follow-up stuff on a documentary last week and we were talking a lot because we, we were showing a lot of scenes of the movie keanu hasn't seen number four since i think the premieres mm-hmm. uh, back in february march whatever 
and I hadn't seen them until very, very recently, like a, a week, week and a half ago or so. Yeah. And we showed clips from all of them. And when you sit back and you see like action sequence or one of the like, well, we're just kind of smiling, going, okay, we're we're pretty proud of that. You know, yeah. right. God, ah, fuck, we could have done better. No, I think I think you guys just have a right to be extremely proud of not just this film, but of the whole series. Um, yeah, it, and it feels like it was, t- you know, it just felt like it was a natural ending. I mean, the the why in number four was to end the journey, right? That was mm-hmm. the why. Yeah, that was the first thing. That was the idea. Like, okay, we're gonna kill him. It's gonna end the right. journey. <laughs> you know, like that's we're gonna set John free by killing John Wick. Like that. That was the mission statement, right? Mm-hmm. So if, again, if we had something like that, but like right now, it felt right you know i'm not saying never and there'll be might be something and god knows you and i might be out of work in five years let's do john wick again old man wick it's coming but like till then i i don't know it we felt like it was a good way to end and the thing is to be brutally honest with you yeah i miss it mm-hmm. i want more i would like to make more of them yeah Keanu misses he loves like i've never seen that guy smile more than he puts on that suit like he yeah. loves it's a fun set man hard and it's painful but everybody that works on them loves them and we love our little family but um you know it's also like that's the bittersweet of it all though right mm-hmm. how much do you love it and are you willing to protect it from yourself bash it into the ground but yeah know. i've got one selfish why i want to ask you um and maybe it is a pathway into a future installment i don't know but we never saw members of the high table yeah, great casting opportunity there for a it range be, of actors. Uh, we have a there is currently a, a John Wick television show in development, not the Continental, a John Wick TV show. Yeah, we're going to explore those realms. Um, we purposely didn't do that in the features. We wanted to keep our we're almost making fun of the Bonds a little bit. And, uh, <laughs> they always got these guys around a table, and that's kind of where yeah. we got the idea. Call it the high table, you know. And we're like, right off the bat, it was like, well, what twelve guys going to be? We're like, whoa, we're never going to see it. <laughs> And we only thought there'd be like one movie, John Wick 2. So we thought that was an easy thing to hide. Yeah. Now, if I had known I was doing three more movies, I probably would have done that. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it, it worked out in the end, I guess. Absolutely. And, and that is the thing, too, is that it's not just ending here. I mean, uh, Continental, you said before, Ballerina, um, you, you're making this documentary that you're speaking about as well. It seems like John Wick will forever, to some degree or another, be a part of your life in some form or another. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Which is exciting for us fans who have just grown to really love and appreciate this franchise and all that it has given us as movie-going fans. I think one of the things I love the most about John Wick Chapter 4, and you said it earlier yourself, is how much these films, but even but more specifically this one, how much it wears its influences on its sleeves. I mean, I'm like detecting so much in this movie. I mean, like obviously Lawrence of Arabia, and I was like, whoa, Chad is on another level here with this one. <laughs> it's great, though. It, it's It's... It's something that um, fans are geeking out over, loving, appreciating, and it's part of the reason why all of this uh, has just led to the continued success. Honestly, personally, I could not be happier for you and the rest of the team. That's nice of you. Thanks. Um, Absolutely. Look, just got a bunch of people that like making movies. I mean, there's no people keep what's the secret sauce. It's just we love what we do. We love movies, and we weren't trying to make a movie. We were just trying to make a love letter. Yeah. That's how it started. Well, you certainly made a love letter and more than that, in my opinion. It's one of the greatest action films ever created. And uh, like I said before, you guys, I think, raised the bar for the rest of the industry to 
catch up moving forward. So Chad, I want to thank you so much for your time here today and talking about this movie. I've talked to a couple other of your collaborators on this because um, I want to highlight their work as well. It's a it's a great technical accomplishment. So thank you so much. Thank you, Matthew. That's very nice of you. Thank you very much. Take care. Challenge you to single combat. If you win, you'll have your freedom. And when I see you, I'm going to take what I want, so... Amen. Hello everyone, welcome to the Next Best Picture Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Neglia, and today I am being joined by the great Oscar-nominated director of photography, cinematographer, Dan Lawson. Dan, welcome back to the show. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you very much for bringing me in. I'm very, very excited to talk to you about what is probably my favorite cinematography of 2023 so far, and that is John Wick Chapter 4, a, a film that... Uh, the fourth film in the franchise hit a creative series peak, and now there is awards talk about this movie. Um, all of you, every single department, it feels like, went all out for this fourth film. This was your third time uh, working on the franchise. You came in with John Wick Chapter 2, and each film you've continued to up your game. Can you tell me like, what was the direction from chad specifically before you shot chapter four was it to simply say hey whatever we've done before we're going to find a way to top it or was it just simply hey this is what the scene itself is calling for no what's happening was we did number three and then keanu and chad have to go to japan to japan and they said come to japan and be our date so we went to japan on a scout you know they have to promote number three and so we scouting Japan. It was like, if we are going to do number four, because nobody knew that those days, if we are going to do number four, this is a really cool look, you know, this very colorful Japanese feeling. And then number four was coming up and it was exactly what you said. Chad says, you know, wait, let's do this as good and powerful as we can go. You know, let's, let's find another way to break this size. Um, so we changed camera packets, you know, we went LF, large format, we went um, alpha lenses, bigger anamorphic lenses. And we we talked a lot about, you know, how the look of the scene should be, we should, all the locations should be bigger, more powerful, and um, try to do it as, as exciting as we could. Compared to the story, of course, you know, the story was like, we are, we're not just putting colors everywhere, you know, we have the, we try to have this feeling about the story. Absolutely. Um, John Wick is pretty famous for having these extended fight sequences, a lot of which are shot in long takes, um, wide takes too, so you can see the entire set. So it's your duty to make sure that an entire set is completely lit from all possible angles so that they can shoot these long extended takes. Can you tell me a bit about what goes into that versus, um, say, tight close-ups that just require you to have uh, specific lighting on an actor's face? Oh, yeah. You know, we tried. We are not shooting 360s. You know, we are, light, we, are, we are lit from one direction. We're turning around like everybody. You know, it's not like when the light is so specific as it is in John Week 4, you know, you cannot turn around, you know, but all the light is far, far away because we want to see the set. So, you know, it's not like normally the light is miles away. We don't have, we have very little lights on the set. Everything is outside on the ceilings or wherever it is, but it's not like we are shooting 360s. Normally we are not, of course, some scenes are, but mostly are shooting one direction. 
big wide shots and then we're getting in for coverage. Yeah. But we're, not, we're changing the light a little bit from the coverage, of course, make it a little bit more beautiful, a little bit more single size, single sources and making a little bit more negative feel for the close-ups. Yeah. And then turning around, we're doing the same. It's not, we're just trying to keep the light as much out of, out of the set as possible because so we can shoot because our main lens was the Alpha 28, you know, we shot really wide as much as we could. Uh, and still you want to, still have to look great and Keanu, you have to see him. Yeah. It's a little bit challenged, but it, it's, um, I think we did that pretty well. I think you did it very, very well. I especially think of the nunchuck scene uh, where you have people coming in from all angles of the room. You got the mirrors to deal with. I, I don't even know how you guys get around some of the logistics of some of these scenes sometimes. Like for you, what was on this particular film? Because I know that each film has its own unique challenges. What was the most difficult challenge with John Wick Chapter 4 for you? The Difficult part, you know, I don't think it was difficult. It was just a challenge because it's so great to work together with Keanu Reeves and Chad because they just want to do the best. So that's all departments, you know, everybody have to do the best that we have done. Um, so I think supporting Chad for his scenes, of course, and supporting Keanu because you have to be ready when he's ready because, you know, when he's doing his own stunts, it's really, really difficult. It's, and he's not a kid anymore, you know, so he's running out of speed, of course, like everybody else, but he's, what he's doing is amazing. So again, we just have to be, we're spending a lot of time for pre-lighting. We're spending a lot of time on rehearsals. So we know what our options is. So we don't standing there on the day and said, oh, by the way, we, we try to be very well prepared. And of course, for example, that chop, chopsticks there, jumpsticks, chopsticks, you know, we have a lot of practicals there because that was a part of, you know, on John Week, we decided to have much more practicals in the scenes and then we could have the practicals moving around you know the light was moving a light a lot around all in all sets because we want to have the light to be a third dimension uh so you really have this a little bit insecure feeling because the light was coming on and off and going around so we did a lot we did that a lot for example in the in the hotel there was a mm -hmm. lot of in the hotel scenes kevin have made a lot of then like split between design and lights, but we we want to have the lights moving as much as we could. And that was a big discussion we had from the beginning. You, we didn't want to have the static light. We want to have, when they're coming into that big fight area, you know, they're coming into it and everything is moving around. And that was like, because we want to have a feeling about they could come in, in, a, in and out of light. You didn't know exactly what it was, making it a little bit more cryptical. So I want to talk about color, especially because a lot of these scenes will focus on a primary color, whether it's red during the scenes in Osaka, or if it's, uh, like you said, the hotel uh, fight scene, there's a uh, green when the lights uh, go out at one point. The nunchuck scene has a focus of blues and whites. There's orange. There's so much variety. And each scene seems like it's calling for a specific color. Do you talk with Chad about the emotions that color can elicit from the audience, or is it just simply we want to have different colors for different scenes to provide as much variety as possible? Oh, it's it's a split between you know we want to have the color because we think that is that scene when they're coming in and the light is coming down and it's getting green, but we didn't want to have static green. So you know we have these moving heads where the light is moving around a little bit because mm -hmm. we feel that was the right scene because it was coming from a very warm scene. 
So the light is disappearing and we just feels like the green, the green was giving us a lot of, a little bit like more scary feeling. And then they're coming up further into the hotel where we have this, it's getting more orange. Mm-hmm. And then coming in to the end of the scene where it's getting much more bluish. So we try to have the palette for that, you know, starting green and then coming into orange, amber, and ending in in uh, the more, uh, yeah, bluish, you know, more cold scenes. And, you know, when we have Skarsko, all his light, all the scenes with him was more or less sunset. You know, the first time we see him in that big, big room with the pillows, you know, that's a big sunset scenes when we're in the museum with him, that's a sunset, sunset scene as well. And in the end of the movie where he's standing on the Sankra Kirk, that's a sunset scene too. So we play him very orange. And then when we are coming outside the hotel, you know, that we are coming into this like rusty, Amber light on one side and the more steel blue green on the other one. You know, we try to, of course, if each scene should have their own color palette, but we try to blend that into the to the feeling in the scenes as well. Absolutely. Was there a particular camera move or lighting rig or any kind of setup in John Wick Chapter 4 especially that was new and unique and not something you had done on the previous films? No, when we did the last sequence in with Sankra Kirk, the final duel there where the sun is rising. Yeah. We did that night for day. We shot that in the night. Oh, okay. That is a night sequence. Sorry, I cannot kill that. I don't know how to do that. That's shot in the nighttime. And we just have the sun, the rising sun on some big cranes, you know, with a lot of dinos on. So that is done hundred percent practical on location. And of course, we're changing the background and visual effects, but the church is there. And the sunrise on the actors is there as well. So that is that is shot practical. And I have not done that before. So that for me, it was a little bit like, hopefully this is going to work. <laughs> <laughs> um, Killer's Lair. Coming up on 5-Minute News, I'm Anthony Davis. You might think it's partisan because maybe it's critical of one side or the other, but it's not. It's just the truth. And I think that's also something that's kind of unusual for Americans listening to the radio or to podcasts because the news landscape in the States has been so partisan for so many decades. So 5-Minute News is verified, truthful, independent, unbiased and essential world news daily. That scene in particular, there's so many moving elements from obviously the crowd to the lighting, uh, the water effects in that scene. I mean, there's so much going on. I I can only imagine that that must have been sort of a logistical nightmare to some degree, especially dealing with the water and the reflections that one would get off of that from the lighting. Can you tell me a little bit about what went into setting that scene up? When we start prepping the movie, Chad said, I want to have a big waterfall. Mm-hmm. Yes, just want to have a waterfall. This is like, I want to have a sequence that's going on in the waterfall. And that's like, everybody's like, mm. uh, and of course that's a challenge. And then we, we want to have the nightclub as the biggest place we could find. So that's shot in Berlin on an old power plant or steelwork or whatever it was, steel factory. And of course when we start to prep that we talked about how it should be lit 
because it's so huge and there's so many people. So there was a lot of like, you know, we have to we pre-light that for three weeks and four weeks. And it was like going on forever. And again, we did some pre-lights. So we have to talk about how strong should the green wear, how strong should the to be the red be. And then we have these moving heads when they're coming down to have this water, the fights down in the waterfall, you know, where we shot everything on, on a water waterproof crane and waterproof heads when the actors are actually fighting in the in the water. Uh, and again, we have some spinning lights there just to put this more unsafe feeling into it uh, when the light is coming on and off. And it, it, it works really well, I think, instead of just static. And it's still, you can do a lot of stuff there because it's a nightclub. So you, you, have, you have a kind of freedom there. Mm-hmm. But it was just ideas about we want to feel unsettled. You know, the lights should be like a part of the scene. I know during the uh, warehouse scene, there's been a lot of talk about that top-down tracking shot uh, and the logistics that went into planning that. I thought when I saw it for the first time, I was like, oh, this has to be visual effects enhanced to some degree. To find out that that was done practically on set and that you and Chad had to work out the – well, and also work with the choreographers too to figure out just the timing of everything yeah. and how that was going to work. Um, that was mind boggling to me. And that completely blew me away. Plus you add in the fire effects yeah. and then you also have to light that entire set on top of that too. Yeah. Um, sir, how dare you be this good at your job? <laughs> the problem there was, you know, Chad wants to have a really, we shot that again. I think we shot, I'm not sure if we shot that spherical because we couldn't get anamorphic lenses that was wide enough. I'm not sure, I don't remember that clearly, but we shot it super wide. So, you know, we saw, it was a big, he wants to have a really big apartment. Yes. And, you know, there was no, the studio we have was not big enough in Berlin. So, you know, we didn't have space and that's the reason. And of course, you know, you have to have one feeding in one room, you have to go into another feeding. So what we did was, we light everything, of course, from outside. We didn't have any lights in the set, everything is shot, Everything is lit from outside yeah. through the and stuff like that. So, for example, where they're coming into this kind of bakery in the middle where the explosion is. Yep. All that is lit like with vortexes. So we have this feeling about there's a big neon side out there, you know, coming in and out and going up and down. When you're coming to the room to the left, it's more like a sunset feeling. But it's still the same apartment, the same room. But, it, you know, you buy that and it, it just looks really cool. Yeah. And of course, the timing between the camera, Keanu, the other guys, and the lighting was a, a challenge because you cannot have the, when Keanu is doing something, big fight, you know, you cannot have the cue so that it's too dark. So, you know, that's, that thing is like the camera, Keanu, and the light. The cueing there was a little bit complicated. Mm-hmm. So we, we have an idea about how to do it, and then we walked away. And then... The stunt people was rehearsing with stand-ins. And then we came back again and did another rehearsal. And then we pre-led over the weekend and then we shot it. But you know, that's so I think we shot it three or four times because yeah. it's so tough to do these scenes, you know. So you cannot just go on and on and on forever. You have to be ready to do it as a one or two takers. Yeah. Uh, but it was cool. It was great. Yeah, no, it's fantastic. It's one of the 
one of the best action scenes. I mean, this this entire movie is like a top list of best action scenes of all time. <laughs> There's so many great sequences, and I could spend a lot of time talking with you about the the scene at the um, uh, as as we said earlier the um, Sacre Coeur, or uh, we could talk about the you know logistics of shooting in the desert, whatever it is that comes up. But here's what I want to know. I want to know because when I see this maximalist style of filmmaking and I see it being done to this highest standard, I ask myself, what more can possibly be done? How much further could this be pushed? So hypothetically, if there was another John Wick installment, maybe it's Old Man Wick or something like that down the road, who knows? What are you going to bring to the table to top yourself? Because my feeling that I get from watching John Wick Chapter 4 is that you gave this your all. Is there is there still more to give, would you say? I think there's still more to go. But, you know, first of all, they have to call me and ask me to do it. <laughs> <laughs> I think they're going to call you. <laughs> so, you know, I think there's always another way to do it more. I don't, you know, you just have to find another way First of all, you have to know the story. Where's the story going to be set? Is it going to be North Poland? Then you cannot, you have to do, you know, because John Wick could go everywhere. Sure. But I think there's an, of course, there's another way to do it interesting and and uh, and powerful. I think the powerful parts of the cinematography, camera move and lighting is like, it's a challenge. But, you know, again, it's a teamwork. Like, it's everybody's working on the same movie. It's not only the cinematographers, the art department, it's the production designer, the wardrobe, the props, lighting, grips, camera. You know, it's... And because Keanu is so good to what he's doing, everybody has to be on the toes and doing the best all the time. Because yeah. you cannot make any mistakes because when he is like, great, great, you cannot say, oh, by the way, we did... So, and that is the challenge because, and that is where the teamwork is coming in. And I think it's coming from from Keanu and Chad because they're so dedicated to what they're doing. But yeah. I'm sure there's a way to do it better. Maybe not better, but just different. My mind almost cannot comprehend what that oh, can possibly oh, look like. better. Yeah. <laughs> Because I was really blown away by this from first frame all the way until the end. I constantly was asking myself, like, has there ever been an American action film as really like pushing it to the envelope as much as this is in terms of stunts, in terms of like the scale, the scope, your lighting choices? I mean, th this movie, I think, is just on a whole other level for the action genre. And it's pushing everybody else to rise up to the standard that you guys have set so i really really appreciate your work on this film dan and as so we, no absolutely and as we end here um can you just tell us what you have coming up next that we can look forward to from you in the future obviously color purple releasing soon but beyond yeah. that whatever work can we see from you i'm going to do uh, frankenstein with guillermo del toro here. that's exciting you guys do such great work together oh, yeah, thank you but that's that's the plan we're going to do that now Excellent. Well, can't wait to see that. Can't wait to see Color Purple. And Dan, uh, congratulations on the success of John Wick Chapter 4. It's really an amazing accomplishment. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Take care. Step up on your ego. Color. The only way John Wick will ever have freedom and peace is in death. Yeah. Not really. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Next Best Picture podcast, where I am being joined right now by the supervising sound editor for John Wick Chapter 4, 
Mark's Techinger. Mark, how are you today? I'm doing well. Doing well. Good day. Thank you. Good yeah, Friday. No, yeah, right. Exactly. The weekend's upon us. Well, um, what what do I have to say? Uh, first of all, congratulations because this movie is awesome. Well, thank the, you. The work in this movie, I think, is at a level that has not only surpassed the bar that was set by the other John Wick films, but I think has raised the bar for all other contemporary action films that are out there. And your work, I think, plays a very, very vital role in achieving that. I have to start off first and foremost with the thunderous, body-shaking, speaker-rattling sound of John Wick's fists in the intro to the movie. Because I saw that film in the theater for the first time with a Dolby surround sound, I could feel the earth shaking upon the impact of those strikes. Yes. Well, that was really important to Chad. He wanted to completely shock the audience. He goes, let's find a way to lull them into something that they are find unexpected and then shock them. And that's exactly what happened. And that was the goal. And we worked on those because it needs to play so many frequencies at once. But it was fun. Now, how do you like achieve that, though? Because a lot of times with sound and film, I know that it's all about finding a balance usually, right? Because you don't want things to be too, too loud. And then you also have to work at um, finding sounds that resonate in a way that is still telling the story and is fitting in with a world that's been clearly established by the previous three films so how does one just go about that especially considering that there's been like i said three films prior to this that have laid a groundwork for what the world of john wick sounds like well uh every wick really escalates the experience Mm -hmm. and in in the process it really uh, adheres to whatever you know, the scene is about, I mean, that's, I know somewhat obvious, but you know, most of the time John Wick is accentuated action beats, be it guns, be it fights or what have you. But sometimes it gets to be really broad. Like you're talking about those katana hits at the very beginning and the fact that they needed to be shocking with a lot of low low energy to them, but they needed to have a lot of punch too. It it took a bit to get those sounds to, to play that way. But ultimately, because they had such an impact and we have the opportunity to go broad, like in the club scene, which is really the broadest scene of the movie, yeah, we took those same katana hits through was exactly what he hits Killa with um, in the right, slow motion he, sequence. When he punches him in yeah. the face. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I remember that. In the face. So it's like use the same sound. So it's a little bit of an homage. Mm-hmm. In a film that is nothing but homages because Chad is such the film historian and knows so many different films and where things were shot and how he wants to tie it all together that uh something like that is is a part of this world too and we're always looking for those opportunities but you're 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 no spring chicken yourself i mean you've worked with some of the great action uh filmmakers out there from john woo to tony scott and so when it comes to chad and what he brings to this what sets him apart from the other filmmakers that you've worked with when he gives you direction for how this film should sound? Well, I mean, for one, all the filmmakers are very unique and they Mm -hmm. all have uh, various ways they want to introduce the aesthetic they want for a film. On this film, Chad's first aesthetic was we shot this in some amazing locations. Uh, The fact that we shot it during COVID allowed us to get into the Louvre and exteriors where we would probably never be able to shoot. So I want to really sell that size and really create that experience. So 
frequently we think of John Wick with all the gunshots and the fights and totally true and huge part of the soundtrack. But what he was asking for is the reverb of the space and the size and the feel. I mean, visually Dan Lawson did an amazing job with the cinematography on the film and he wanted the sound to really complement that. And as you notice in a lot of John Wick films and in particularly this one, there are some slower walks of John or Winston in the Louvre and something along those lines. So it allows you use the reverb in that space to exactly accomplish what he's after. And uh, he wanted them to all be different. He wanted them to all be unique. Uh, but on the, on the topic of the spaces of the film, mm-hmm. reverb, again, guns and fights are very much the hallmark of the John Wick series. But also, almost every location has, somebody introduced me to this word the other day, non-diegetic, which I guess means non-literal sort of background or feel. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can almost ask me about any scene, I can tell you what that is. Like the fight in the glass house, that's got yeah. this kind of arrhythmical kind of breathing kind of chant through it that was, you know, sometimes you look at a film, it's like, okay, it's got a, an Asian theme to it. And there's various showcases that have, you know, artifacts and armor. So maybe let's take some Buddhist monk chants and slow them down and, and feed them back on each other and create some reverb and make it like an underlining tone. So we get to do that sometimes in place of music or to take the place of music if necessary to really give something a feel mm-hmm. um, where uh, Winston and Sharon feast first meet the uh, marquee. That's got like this really low frequency tone that kind of just is unsettling, you know, low frequency tones are known to be unsettling. And so we were able to lean into that and, and make that part of the experience. And so that, relates in certain ways to Chaz's desire to have each location have its own sort of mark marquee sound yeah i i'm curious to know with regards to some of these fight sequences playing out for very long extended takes usually how much of the contact the hits are recorded live on set and how much of it is replaced later uh, the short answer is all replaced later. That's wild because <laughs> everything there is uh, not the dialogue. We did very little looping in this movie, which was mm-hmm. great. But other than the dialogue and maybe a couple little incidental sounds, everything else is replaced. And I shouldn't even say replaced because it's not like there were fight hits when they were shooting. They need to be replaced. They're all added. Mm-hmm. But you notice that there's a lot of vocals in those hits. And those are, for the most part, those are real. That's what the stunt performers do per Chad's direction. Some of it is the way it's orchestrated and blocked. And that's what everybody knows what's going to happen next by the sounds that are made. Yeah. But it sounds like these great fight sounds. And we'll do everything we can to make sure they live in the track. Because it's really important to give it life and character that way. So that's important. But you get into a scene like the big stairway fight at the end, right before we get to the duel, and there is some production, but most of that is all done and replaced. Yeah. Because you want to be able to control it. And, you know, scene like that, shooting at night in Paris, and that's real location, even if it's quiet enough, there's still a noise floor, which, you know, you want to kind of control it. You don't want a buildup of noise floor. So we were able to use a lot of 
ADR efforts because we recorded the ADR for this movie in practical locations and outside, so it would sound real, sound real, and it yeah. fortunately did. Now, for something like this, I have to imagine there must be a vast library of pre-recorded uh, Foley sound effects and things that you can, you know, dip into for making the soundscape of John Wick. Because also, too, and everything I was thinking a lot about is there are so many uh, over-the-shoulder throws. There are so many punches. There are so many gunshots. It's not like you're reusing the same sound effect over and over and over. Um, they, they're all individualized. So how does one, just from a logistical standpoint, when you have so much at your disposal... Like, how do you go about choosing the right track? Is it just trial and error of plugging and playing back and seeing what fits and what flows? Well, twofold. I mean, it is a, it is definitely trial and error to see what fits. But so many of those, be it a bullet impact or a punch or a gunshot, are layered with many different sounds with the mm -hmm. idea that you want them to all be different. You don't want anything to sound repetitive. And you also want to be able to play with your different frequencies. Like just depend on what the competitive sounds are. It's like, oh, this needs a little bit more high frequency. Oh, this one needs a little bit more bottom. And typically you've got elements that'll help achieve that. And um, as an example, the gunshots might have eight to nine different sounds playing for the gunshots. But the beauty of that is as like a as the character sweeps the gun across the frame or your different locations, you can vary each one. You can vary each one with the, the sonic combination. You can um, vary each one with the amount of compression you put on different elements of those sounds. You know, like every gunshot's got a little bit of a mechanism to it. If you're really close, you might not notice it, but it's part of the sound. But if you're far away, you take it out. Because that's where it gets to be very time-consuming. There are a lot of choices, and there are a lot of sounds, and quite a bit of layering. But it allows for this rich track that never sounds repetitive. And that is part of the beauty of Wick. And that's something that, you know, Chad uh, asks us to do. I mean, he doesn't ask us to do that on that myopic granular level, mm -hmm. but he asks for those results. And that's how we achieve them. I mean, Here's some of the sounds with the most varied sounds are all the bullet hits. You know, you bullets hit everything in this movie. Yeah. Including body armor and two different types of body armor. And you want to tell that story sonically. Mm -hmm. So you really work on that to try to have some form of differentiation between all the, all the different surfaces. I've noticed though, and I, and I remember talking with uh, the film's editor earlier this year about this too, that there's a rhythmic pacing to many of the John Wick fight scenes that tend to end on an exclamation point uh, yes. kill shot of some sort. So can you tell me a bit about coming up with specifically I'll use and there's so many examples but I'll just think of one here the wind up numchuck that he does almost like a like a golf swing to one guy and it just completely I think adds a, an exclamation point on that particular moment within the scene that allows the audience then to breathe for a brief second before it kicks back up again so can you just talk to me about those moments to help with the pacing of the film well Actually, it's a little bit of that layering I was talking about. So when you get to something that's got to be a little bit um, unique and be that, that finality exclamation point, you've got the elements to work with and, and tweak on to make it the way you want it to be. And almost anything that's a hit, be it a nunchuck or a punch, it has little whoosh elements with mm -hmm. it, frequently preceding it. And it's amazing. If you take that out, you really miss it. And it, yeah. it 
doesn't feel as organic, even though I don't know from real life you would hear that. But would you say that that's the element that would that makes the audience go, "Ooh!" Like when they feel, you know, the hit, if you will. Well, sometimes you know, there's a little bit of a crack. Stereotypically, in the old days, a lot of these chin socks had this stereotypical kind of bone crack, which I don't know. We're not that much of a fan of because it actually makes it sound really fake. So. But there's other higher frequency elements that you can use to give that kind of like ouch sound, it's like a little bit of slappy or something like that. Mm-hmm. And to a certain point, can be a joke. It's like, okay, well, we really need to hurt them. You know, it's got to hurt. Yeah. And level level and low frequency can equal hurt frequently. So sometimes that is the direction that we'll go in. Another thing too um, that I really like about this film in particular is I love that final scene at Sacre Coeur where it's a one-on-one duel pistols only and that sound of those gunshots whether it's the shot itself coming out of the barrel or the bullet going through the skin like those we need to feel that and we need to feel the emotion of those moments in that final scene because it is such a more intimate uh scene between those two men can you tell me just a bit about the work that went into that well, ultimately, when you think about it, John Wick is a Western in mm-hmm. very many ways. And that end duel is like the good, bad, and the ugly. Yeah. As a matter of fact, you can hear homages to that in the score to a certain degree. So when it comes to the guns, they have that big, long canyon echo, which probably wouldn't sound like that at all in front of the shark yeah. core. <laughs> you know, it would be. So we made it sound Western. You'll notice there's crows in the scene. There's wind wisps as if you were on a dusty street so sonically wanted to play that totally as a western scene even though it's out of context visually from what we see and so those are all the clues that we made it a point to really accentuate so when you talk about the guns yes they're very singular which makes you can have that kind of space on them you can make a big deal about there's certain sounds we recorded canyon echoes in the past and mm-hmm. it's not just the sound of the gun with reverb it's a couple other canyon echoes that swim and wash around as if you were in the you know, where did john ford shoot all his films um you know it, with the i'm not gonna call it the grand tetons that was anyway but that <laughs> sort of vibe to it and with the, you know the dusty streets and all the rest so and because it was a quiet scene those sounds are really singular and they really played out you know obviously the footsteps were yeah. very very on their own as as the footsteps tend to be in this movie throughout mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. to really kind of like play it up play it as the western it is it's the coup de grace of the series and of the movie so let's let's go for it absolutely and <laughs> the arc de triomphe scene is there's so many moving elements that, uh you got all those cars to deal with how like like what's the direction from chad for a scene like that that's that can be so busy and so noisy and a lot happening at once well he loves controlled chaos and mm-hmm. that there's so many scenes in this movie that are controlled chaos that being one of the the most uh, memorable ones that's for sure and you know, that scene early on, if you spoke to Nathan about it, it was a lot of times like football sled, green football sleds. Those are the cars that hit people. Yeah. That was not shot at the Arc de Triomphe. It was shot right. in Germany. And you would never know it. Even those of us that worked on it and saw the evolution of it almost would never know it. It's seamless. So, 
Yeah, it is, it is seamless. And so because of that, that they started layering it visually, they gave ideas on how to layer it sonically and keep it active. Um, you know, basically hats off also to the music cue in that, that, uh, that Joel Richard did that, you know, once the uh, Barracuda has crashed, it mm -hmm. really sort of leans into that and it creates this heartbeat rhythm to the scene. But as far as what the sound effects was, is you couldn't ever let off, you know, and you really looked for, well, I guess as Nate would say, those exclamation points where you would cut to the marquee hard when he'd be on the phone talking to Tracker and trying to figure things out and then find out it wasn't going as well as he thought and then bang right back into the action. So, yeah. I mean, overall, that scene, the top shot scene, there's, there's so many scenes in this movie where, you know, as sound people, you get to the point when you're mixing a movie, a lot of it's about um, subtracting rather than additive because yeah. you really want to get a texture and a detail and you find out that you have too much. John Wick is the opposite. You couldn't add enough sounds to this movie to give it detail because nothing would get in the way from the way that it was orchestrated visually and the way we were able to do it sonically because so many of those sounds too, they're not continuous. They're gunshots, they're hits they would add visual effects of hits up until the very last hour of the last day of the mix. And we were able to, you know, add them and hear them and, and just feel that tapestry of mayhem that Chad orchestrated really, really well. Although I really do like the uh, scene between Sonata and Yen where they have their yes. really epic sword fight where the sound does dip a bit. Um, and you hear the sounds of the environment around them and the clashing of the swords. The music mm -hmm. kind of takes a backseat, though. So I, I think that the movie itself, just all throughout, has even at almost three hours in length, it never feels repetitive. And there are all these shape-shifting um, layers to it, like you were saying before, that just keeps the audience on their toes throughout, which I, I personally love. Well, um, nice. Well, a lot of sonic contrast. That one scene yeah. is a classic example, right? Mm -hmm. You make it very peaceful in something that's obviously not very peaceful. And then you can really lean in on the violence when it gets violent. <laughs> Or the honor of those two men yeah. and what their, yeah. you know, their shared history in a way. It helps you like kind of hone in. Um, yes. I got two last questions before we go. One's going to be very, very quick. Um, okay. Well, I hope it's quick. Um, kill his fan in his lair. What was the uh, the direction from Chad with that, with adding a sound effect to the revolving uh, fan? Well, that's something that Nate actually is the sound that he came up with in the picture edit. And the whole idea was to give it tension and mm -hmm. nothing like a, a heartbeat with something that's literal to the scene to help give it tension. Yeah. And so the scene was shot that way, clearly, because we've got the overhead shots looking down. And that's actually that might be my favorite scene of the movie because the tension is just so real. Yeah, it is so good. And uh, Scott Atkins is so good. He's so good. I especially love the uh, sound effect of the card flip when he reveals his hand to the rest of the table. Yes. Like, it, like those of a bomb just went off over him flipping one card over. <laughs> right. And that's the fun part of the Wick movies. Like I said, you go between something that's, that's real and literal and something that is definitely not and designy. And so when that happens, it kind of calls your attention to the dramatics of the moment. Okay. That was one of them. We're coming up on the end here. Um, okay. Do you have 
for the listeners at home who have seen this movie countless times. Do you uh-huh. have a scene where there is like a hidden sound effect, like an Easter egg or something that you want to point out for us that you layered in there for fun? Got to think fast on this one. Well, I would say with the dragon's breath shotgun in the mm-hmm. top shot scene, there is literally something that is a dragon vocal related within the sound elements that make that. That's really cool. That's something that comes to mind. I would imagine because I like playing with all that um, homage to previous films, especially of a, of a given franchise, but I'm not locked and loaded. I'm like John on something like that. But, um, but that's one, that's one. There's all sorts of things buried. Well, I could say that the 71 Barracuda is not a Barracuda. It's not a Chrysler product even. So uh, for anybody who's an automotive fan, as I am, it was hard to do something else, but drama had to um, rain the, make the day. I could spend a, a bunch of time here, Mark, going yeah. through scene by scene with you on this very incredibly intricate and awesome film. But uh, we are out of time here. Um, as we say goodbye, can you just tell us what you have coming up next to look forward to in the future? I have uh, The Fall Guy coming up, which is the first Wick was directed by David Leach and Chad. And David and Chad have made their own films. And this is uh, David's film that I'm working on right now. Awesome. And y- your work with him is great, too. So can't wait to see that. Mark, thank you so much here. I really, really appreciate your time. Thank you. Appreciate it, too. Take care. Bye-bye now. Bye-bye. Hey everyone, thank you so much for listening to my interviews with the director for John Wick Chapter 4, Chad Stahelski, the cinematographer Dan Lauston, and the supervising sound editor Mark Steckinger here on the Next Best Picture podcast. John Wick Chapter 4 is up for your consideration for this year's Academy Awards in all eligible categories including Best Director, Best Picture, Best Cinematography, Best Sound, and Best Film Editing. You have been listening to the Next Best Picture Podcast. We are proud to be part of the Evergreen Podcast Network, and you can subscribe to us anywhere where you subscribe to podcasts. Be sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and let us know what you think of the show. We really appreciate your feedback and your support, which you can also land on over at Patreon. For $1 minimum a month, you'll get some exclusive podcast content from us. Thank you all so much for listening, as always, and we will see you all next time. This is Krista Makes, guitarist and vocalist for Less Than Jake, and host of Krista Makes a Podcast, a songwriting podcast where every week I'm joined by an amazing guest to break down the writing, recording, and release of one iconic song from their career. In our giant, evergreen back catalog of episodes, we've had rock legends such as Dee Snyder and Huey Lewis, punk rock favorites like Mark Hoppus, Fat Mike, and Brett Gurowitz, and up-and-coming artists of today, such as Liz Stokes of The Beths and Genesis Owusu. We've had guests from all genres and styles of music, and I guarantee that if you peruse our back catalog, you'll see several episodes that'll make you say, man, I gotta hear that. Whether you're a fan of music 
or a creator of music yourself, you'll take away a whole new appreciation for the songs you know and love. Chris Makes a Podcast is available for free on all the places you could possibly listen to podcasts, and new episodes come out every Monday.